money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. So as a real estate investor, a great way to be able to invest it and gain your knowledge is to listen to not just the wins of the other real estate investors that you'll hear from out there, but also some of the sand traps that are out there. In fact, in our last segment, we talked about some of the typical sand traps that we see as real estate investors. For us, as we've broken down our business, uh, we use this real estate investor blueprint. We'll bring a larger one up here tonight just to kind of give you an idea of what this is. Uh, but we We've broken our business into uh, six different categories uh, and 272 different items. So for uh, my husband and I were left brainers, uh, very analytical. Uh, my husband's nickname for me when we first started dating was and guys, don't, don't, I see some of you guys poised to write down this nickname to maybe be able to use it. Uh, don't, don't, don't use this one. Yeah, I see, I, I see you, I see you writing. It was spreadsheet girl. Spreadsheet girl. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so for us, uh, really, uh, got involved in everything that we did and everything that we still do today goes, uh, through a spreadsheet. And we broke our business out into these different categories, which include strategy and education, understanding all of the different real estate investing strategies that you can use to survive and thrive no matter what the market throws at you. So for us, uh, a very long time ago, we decided we did not want to go back to work for anyone else and I didn't want to go back to corporate America, neither did my husband. Uh, so we had to have these different strategies. Uh, the, the big middle section on the far left is our marketing strategies. Uh, so these are 65 different strategies that will help you throughout any of the different markets that are out there. Uh, sales and negotiation, analysis and due diligence. This is where Spreadsheet Girl comes in. Uh, the financing part of the deal, how to make a dollar holler using the subject to investing strategy. And then the operation side of your business which is the upper right-hand corner, the largest side of your business, which is where you go from swinging a hammer in your own business to hiring someone to swing that hammer for you so that you can actually scale your business. So that's one of the things that we love about investing in real estate. And I've got um, the a whole series going now when it comes to investing. And uh, some of that series <clears throat> uh, is where we're going to start today is about leasing. So I'll go ahead and pop that up on the screen so you guys can see that as well. Uh, so we're doing uh, a whole series, an overview of real estate investing, uh, talking about the marketing, the deals, the strategies, the due diligence, negotiating, financing, closing, reselling. We've already done all of those. So today we're going to talk a little bit about leasing. I know some of you guys earlier mentioned the Burr strategy, so uh, you'll see that notated in here as well. Uh, next week we'll be uh, talking about the refinancing uh, part. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, tell you that refinancing in many cases is dead. If you guys take a look at the number of refinances that have happened over the last year, it is dry and the applications have uh, very much dried up uh, just because uh, of the increase in interest rates. And then as you join us over the next several weeks as well, we'll talk about some of the other items that are listed here too. So this is part of an overview of real estate investing, just kind of getting an understanding of some of those different strategies that we use. <clears throat> uh, so this part of the uh, course is, is the leasing part. 
part. So it's be about becoming a real estate landlord, owning property that is paid for by a tenant. I'm curious, how many of you guys own rental property in here? How many of you guys own rental property in here? How long have you owned that rental property, sir? Three years. Three years. Has it been probably one of your better investments? Yes, considering it's totally paid for and it's all cash flow. Let me ask you a different way. Has it almost doubled in value in the last three years? The house has almost doubled in value. You seem so, according to Zillow. <laughs> hey, uh, what's your name, sir? James, leave the jokes to me. Yeah. All right. Okay. Just want to just, just want to get that out there. Uh, but, um, so many of you guys who have owned rental property and have owned it for at least three years, if not five or longer years. So some of the rental property that, uh, I own, I've owned for in some cases 20 years. Uh, so this is one of the things that I've seen. It's a great way, a very fast way to be able, be able to build wealth. Now I cannot guarantee that what has happened over the last three years will ever happen again in terms of seeing those values go up at the rate that they went up. Uh, but if you are okay with uh, it going up just in the, you know, three to seven percent range, which is pretty typical for us in Texas, uh, then what you'll find it is a great way to be able to build wealth and also get cash flow along the way, especially if you're like uh, Mr. James here and you have that property completely paid off. Uh, so, uh, for us, um, uh, we love cash flow, uh, but we use different strategies to generate cash flow as a real estate investor just because we want to, uh, we believe in leverage and we want to be able to, instead of just having one property that is doubled in value, even if that's just what Zillow says, uh, instead of having one, we'd rather have, you know, ten, fifty thousand $50,000 down payments on 10 properties instead of one $500,000 payment on, uh, on uh, $10,000 payments on 10 properties instead of one $500,000 payment on one property. Uh, so for us, we want multiple opportunities, multiple uh, chances at bat to be able to watch that value grow up and that value double for us and use that to be able to build our wealth. We talked about some of the different strategies that we use as real estate investors uh, to be able to survive and thrive in uncertain markets, up markets, down markets, et cetera. Uh, for us, those are typically the things that we're using to be able to generate cash flow, generate income. Um, not just from our rental, not just from our rental properties. Uh, and then what I find is for most people, they jump into becoming a real estate uh, landlord strictly for those cash flow purposes. Uh, for uh, myself and for my husband, when we first started investing, that's what we thought holding real estate for the long term was about too, just generating cash flow. Um, but we very quickly realized that it's not just about the cash flow. Cash flow is only one component. And that cash flow component kind of um, is, is not as big as I think a lot of people would think or at least think initially. And I want to kind of share what I call as a tale or a story of two investors or multiple investors, really. So a little bit of background on me. I'm a fourth generation real estate investor. My great grandparents owned 48 rental properties. My grandparents owned rental properties. My parents still own about 12 doors to this day in their 70s. Um, my great-grandparents, even though they owned all of those rental properties, they did not die wealthy. Why do you think that is? What, they, had, they generate cash flow, but their properties did not double in value. Why? They focused on only cash flow generating properties. They did not focus on properties that were in areas that were doubling and doubling in value. So there's a saying in real estate, if you want cash flow, you've got to go 
low. The lower end properties generate more cash flow. They also generate a lot more headache as well. So even though my great grandparents owned a lot of properties and were able to get a lot of cash flow, they didn't buy properties in the right areas to be able to really build out their wealth. Um, my great, uh, pardon me, my grandparents did it the same way, but my parents started to invest a little bit differently. So when they started investing, uh, the cash flows in our DNA, like the need for cash flow is just kind of part of our, uh, uh, makeup. But uh, many of the properties that my parents bought were properties that didn't cash flow very well, but were doubling and doubling and doubling in value. And for my parents, they started investing in um, the early 90s. And in fact, the first deal that I did, I did with my mom. I'm curious, who's in here? Who's here tonight with a parent? Who's here tonight with a parent? Anyone? No one. Who's it? Okay, one person. Um, who in who in here tonight is here with like a brother or sister or, or cousin or anything like? Okay, wow. Okay, much more are you guys. So I will tell you the first deal that I did, I did with my mom. The second deal I did with my brother. All the other deals I've done with my husband. Uh, but the first deal that I did, uh, and I'm just going to go back in the far far time machine to 1994. So I was a college student at UT, and um, at the time and. <sighs> I don't want to sound braggadocious in here, so um, but it's it's not a brag if it's true. That's what they say, right? So at the time, I was making four dollars and seventy-five cents an hour, American. That's very funny. Thank you to the one person who laughed. I appreciate you. Uh, at the time, I was making four dollars and seventy-five cents an hour. How does a college kid making $4.75 an hour with no real money or no real down payment or no real credit be able to get a property? How do you do that? What did you say? Reddit? Credit. Okay. What else? So what did you say? Sub two. So at the time, um, so again, this is going back in the time machine, uh, there were non-qualifying assumable loans. That was a loan product that they have out there. Now, some of you guys with gray hair or guys or gals with gray hair or no hair might remember, okay, that, that loan product, a non-qualifying assumable loan. They don't make it anymore today. They stopped making it in the 90s. But that's how a college kid with no real income, right, and no real down payment uh, and no real credit is able to be able to get a loan. Now today, they, because they don't make that loan product anymore, we can accomplish the same thing by buying it subject to the existing financing, right? We're essentially just coming in and taking over someone's loan. It's not an assumption like it was back in the 90s, but it is, uh, it is effectively the same thing. So at the time that we bought that property, it was worth, or we purchased it for $105,000. Today, that property is worth $1.6 million. That property is still part of our family trust, okay? But guess what? That property has never really thrown off a bunch of cash flow. So many of the investors who are only cash flow focused, what are they going to say? This isn't cash flowing. I've got to, it doesn't cash flow. You got to let it go, right? You got to sell it. So for me, what I found is I saw how my great grandparents were investing in real estate. I saw how my parents were investing in real estate. I saw which ones were building wealth and make and getting rich. And I saw which ones were just getting cash flow. So I will just challenge you guys just a little bit. Uh, don't just think about real estate investing when it comes to being a landlord as only being about the cash flow. Also think about how that property, if 
picked in the right area is going to double and double and double in value for you. Because really at the end of the day, $500 a month in cash flow, which is what most people would say is pretty good cash flow. That's $6,000 a year. For most of you guys, that's not going to push the needle in terms of your lifestyle, right? Now, if you have 20 of those, now we're starting to, now we're starting to talk about a real business. But if instead you have properties that are doubling in value every five to seven years, right? Those are going to over time really just, uh, diminish the value of that cash flow. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying, and I can see some hands up. I'm not saying like your job as a real estate investor is going buy a bunch of negative cash flowing investments that are just, you know, doubling in income, right? Or doubling in value. Pardon me. Uh, that's something that only you can do if you're using other strategies to be able to invest in real estate, whether it's wholesaling, whether it's fix and flipping, uh, whether it's some of the many other strategies that we use as real estate investors and that we'll talk about tonight. And you had a question, is it Devante? Devante, yeah. So the question is, is the, is buying and holding for the long term, uh, the number one suggestion that I have? I would say that that is one based on where I am as a real estate investor today. So if we were to go back in the time machine 20 years, which is probably where many of you guys are today, uh, if you're saying, I'd like to quit my job too, and I need to desperately replace my income. If you have to replace income, create income today, buying and holding even if you're getting $500 a month in positive cash flow, is that gonna, is that gonna do anything for you? Probably not. And, the, and you also have to understand what game you are playing. So, the game that I'm playing with many of the buy and hold investments that I have is I'm willing to wait. I'm playing a very long game to watch this property double in value. And that's typically going to be at least five. And in some cases, maybe 10 years. If you are saying, you know, I need to generate income today, then I would say, use this opportunistically, use this opportunistically, but to be able to generate income that's more than $500 over the course of a month, um, you need to be using other strategies, right? So, and then as you build up, I'll, I'll give, me t- give me two seconds, as you build up, then you're going to want to put as much money as you can into buying and holding on to these properties. Because if you ask, and for many of you guys, if you look at your parents, right? If they own a home, probably most of their val- of their wealth is tied up in what? That home, right? Why? Are they investing geniuses? No, they just held on to it long enough for what? For the magic of compound interest, right? The eighth wonder of the world to actually happen. And what does Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, say about compound interest? He says it's the greatest force in the world, but he also says, don't interrupt it unnecessarily, which means what? Don't be trading in and out of it, right? What are, what are Warren and Charlie famous for? Buying stuff, going all in and holding and watching what happened, right? Watching the value of those properties go up. So every person's going to be a little bit different. But for me, some of the properties that were not good buy, fix and flip investments because I couldn't get it at that low price that you have to get to be a buy, fix and flip that 70% of ARB minus repairs were great buy and holds, especially if I could get it subject to the existing financing, and especially if it was an interest rate that was below 4%. Right now I'm getting income, but income at $500 a month, again, probably won't feed, you know, feed you, right? It won't keep the lights on. So um, I love this strategy, but some people kind of get into it over time and or get into it opportunistically. But I'm curious, um, has anyone in here read The Psychology of, of Money? That's a great book, right? 
Uh, Morgan Housel, that's a great book. And one of the things that he talks about in this book is know which game you are playing. Know which game you are playing. And very specifically, he's talking more about the stock market. And he's talking about people who are who you might be competing with on any day that you're buying a stock. You have people who are buying and selling in an hour. And then you have people that are buying and holding for the long term, right? So he specifically under, uh, asked th uh, that you make sure that you understand that. And that applies to real estate investing as well. So can you pay full price for a real estate investor investment? The answer is no, if you're buying, fixing, and flipping immediately. But the answer is yes, if you're willing to hold on to it and wait for it to double, even if it's just what Zillow says, right? So so uh, that's that's the nuance that I want to bring up here. And I, ha I had a question in the back. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your patience. Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. So she said, how do you know if a neighborhood's going to double in value? So some of you guys heard me mention earlier that I'm a licensed realtor and broker in the great state of Texas, license number 0518223. I'm not your realtor. Don't sue me. Uh, you have to have a great realtor to invest in real estate. It's not going to be me because I'm doing it for my own investments. I know that sounds a little harsh, but I just, I, I that's just want to put that out there. So one of the things, uh, and I also mentioned uh, at one point earlier in the presentation that my husband's nickname for me was spreadsheet girl. Okay. So I have, uh, I'm part of the MLS in Austin, Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio. So what do you think spreadsheet girl did? Downloaded all of the information out of the MLSs to identify what? Identify where values are going and growing and doubling. Okay. So, um, uh, 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 don't skate to where the puck is. Skate to where the puck is going to be. And who said that? Some hockey player. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, for me, what I've done is I've figured out where the puck is going, right? Uh, so if you look, for example, in Austin, the, the way that the growth is, it's kind of all kind of going from the center, right? And it's going, it goes a little bit north, it goes a little bit south, it goes a little bit west, and it just started to go, or about 10 years ago, it started to go far east, or, or it started to go east. If you look in Dallas, it's more like a V. So right now, we're kind of at the, at the kind of sort of close to the base or the middle of the V here where we're at here in Addison, and it's going out and up like this. If you look at Houston, right, the values are going, growing north and they're growing west away from the hurricanes. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, and, and then in, in San Antonio, a lot of it is around the river walk area. So every single area has a little different growth pattern. You want to be in that path of development because you want to skate where the puck is going to be. So if you can see that history and that trend line, cause there's 20 years of information about in real estate and in the MLS about where those values are going and growing, can you use that? That to make an educated guess to pick that next property. Yes. And that's exactly what we did. Yes, ma'am. What, how can you be a transaction coordinator and not have access to the MLS? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, so it was, it was so funny when I asked earlier, like who are the realtors in the room and only five people showed up. I, or only five people stood up. I know there are probably another 15 or more realtors in this room. They just were afraid to stand up because sometimes there is a little bit of a clash between realtors and investors, right? And, and, and realtors in many cases don't like investors because what are investors telling their realtors to do? 
I need you to go out and make this lowball offer to the seller. And the realtor's like, oh God, you know, they probably got their information from Zillow, you know, so it's like, how am I going to deal with this? You know, they don't, they don't. And then when they get, when, when they're uh, representing a seller as an example, and they get a low offer from some investor, it's like, oh gosh, some investor. So there's a little bit of that going on, right? So, but you, in order to be successful as a real estate investor, um, this is a non-negotiable, a non-negotiable. You must have an investor investor-friendly realtor on your power team. Um, and, and how many realtors are in the DFW market? Somebody knows 40, 40 some odd thousand. I, th I, would, I, I actually thought it was more than that. Anybody else? Is that the number? Is that about the number? Do you think that's the number, Kurt? Yeah, in that, in that range. Um, and then Kurt, can you also tell me uh, roughly how many listings are in the DFW market? <laughs> there are less than, so, so basically there are more realtors than there are houses for sale. Did you guys know that? Yeah. So, um, what does that tell you about realtors? They're, they're a little bit of a commodity. Okay. Um, most realtors are not doing very well. Um, and, and who in here takes Ubers on a regular basis? It can't just be me. Who else? Okay, so ask your Uber driver if they also do what? Real estate. Because where do people in kind of gig economy go? They go, oh, I'm going to deliver food today and I'm going to be a realtor tomorrow and I'm going to do, you know, so, so you will find a lot of realtors who kind of will move over to the gig economy. Um, and one great way to find, if you're like, I don't know how to find a realtor, great, put an ad on Craigslist as an example that, and say something like, I'm looking for a transaction coordinator because who will you'll find? You're going to find the out of work realtor right? Who's going to think, oh my gosh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pay my MLS dues this quarter. And now this person may kind of hook me up and help me out with that, with that ability. So they're out there, they're everywhere. And in most cases, they're underemployed. I think that's fair to say, right? So um, that's, that's how you find some of those folks. So again, let's get back and close this story, the tale of two investors. Uh, the idea here is don't just invest for cash flow. The idea here is also invest to be able to build wealth. If you talk to any investor who's been doing this for a long time and has made millions and millions of dollars, they will tell you that, wow, when I first got in this business, I thought my rentals were going to generate income for me. But as I held them longer, I realized that their actual job was to be able to make me rich. Um, now, when it comes to leasing, so holding these properties, understand this concept that great business owners get tired, but great business are great business operators. I think I miss, uh, mix these two. They get rich. Do you guys want to be doing everything in your business? Do you guys want to be doing everything in your business? No, no you do not. Because if you're doing everything in your business, you will not be able to scale your business. And if you're swinging a hammer at every single project, that might feel really great if you've been, uh, you know, a, 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 in a cubicle for the last five, 10 or 15 years. And you just want to, you know, have you guys heard of those rooms where you can get, it's like the anger rooms. Have you guys heard of those? It's like they give you a hammer and they put you in a room and they say, go for it. You know how long it takes before someone's like totally tired out? It's about three or five minutes before they're like sweating like it's 100 degrees in Dallas, Texas, right? So what you guys need to do is get your satisfaction of getting out of the cube and busting stuff up and getting that level of check on your to-do list out of your system so you can spend all of your time working on finding that next deal as opposed to being 
uh, that operator and doing uh, doing those deals uh, or doing all of the work in those deals. So what that means for you guys is find a great property manager, find a great property manager. And I will tell you, finding a great property manager can actually be a little bit more difficult than finding a great realtor. Why is that? Has anybody ever read the Texas property code? It's like over a hundred pages long, right? Uh, and you need to know all of that if you are a property manager, if you are leasing to uh, tenants. It's, it's, I feel like it's easier. And have you been on both sides, property management, as well as the regular residential sales side? And no property manager. You've got to know a lot, right? And it's very different than uh, many of the realtors out there that are just, if you will, doing the buying or selling. Um, and that's, you know, you'll find a lot of people who are, who are uh, working their own, uh, being their own landlords. And, and we tell you guys, part of one of your marketing strategies, one of the 65 marketing strategies is to market to tired landlords. How do we know a landlord is tired? I guarantee you they're tired if they're managing it themselves as opposed to hiring a professional who knows all of the ins and out, who reads the Texas property code, knows how it's updated, knows how to stay safe. So when you look at that tar residential lease, 16 uh, uh, pages long versus if you, to lease a property, 16 pages. To buy a property, 11 pages? That seems like it should be reversed, right? So if that gives you also any indication of some of the, um, uh, uh, some of the things that you will encounter as a landlord, and, and if that won't make, if these two items in here won't make you hire a great property manager, then, uh, you're going to be one of those landlords who does burn out, and you're going to be one of those landlords who I will market to, and something's going to happen terrible with your tenant, and you may not have the resources or the knowledge to be able to figure it out. Then you get a higher, uh, an attorney who's going to be a lot more expensive than what you would have paid that property manager on a monthly basis to be able to unwind that situation. So uh, you can either stay on top of all of the legislation, you can pay someone a small fee uh, to be able to do that for you, which is typically eight to 10% of your rent. Uh, now, if you say to me, and some people will say, well, Shinoa, if I, if I get a property manager, then I'm not going to cash flow. Then what am I going to tell you? Your deal's not good enough, right? And, and the last thing that you want to do is be making up for your bad deal by following, you know, throwing one good mistake, uh, or throwing one, uh, bad mistake after another. Uh, so this is something I want you guys to be able to think about. So as a real estate investor, your money, right, is in finding the next deal. Your money is in finding the next deal, uh, not in property managing the tenants and toilets of an existing property. Give that away to somebody else who that is exactly what they focus on. So you can focus on getting, again, another better property that's going to either double in income and or throw off a lot of money when it terms, uh, when it comes to cash flow. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, a quote that I read in um, uh, Timothy Ferris's Tools of Titans, and I know uh, who are my Timothy Ferris uh, uh, fans in here? Tools of Titans, Tribe of Mentors, okay, yeah. So uh, one of the, so so he interviews uh, 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 icons, successful uh, business owners, billionaires. Um, authors, uh, people who are experts in their fields. And one of them uh, gave the quote, self-sufficiency is a recipe for poverty. Think about that. Doesn't that feel like exactly the opposite of what we have been taught all of our lives, right? Well, we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be able to do everything. But what happens when we are doing everything? How's our focus? 
right? Guys, you can have anything that you want in this life. You can have anything. You just can't have, okay? So if you are focused, right, and instead of trying to do everything, uh, you will be able to scale your business. Uh, so instead, we want you to focus on finding that ne next property. Um, and I know we have some property managers in the room, and this is probably offensive to you, and I'm sorry, but you may also be here because you know, well, gosh, I like what I do, but I want to get on the other side because I want to make more money. So that's why a lot of property managers and realtors come here. Realtors make money on page two of the HUD, uh, this closing settlement statement. Investors make their money on page one. All of the money is made on page one. All of the scraps are picked up on page two. This is where the realtors are getting commissions. This is where the mortgage brokers are getting commissions. This is where the title company is getting paid. But all of the big numbers with commas in them and numbers to the left of the comma, multiple numbers there, those are getting paid on page one. And that's where you land as a real estate investor as opposed to being a property manager for the properties that you're doing. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this uh, tip of the week. Every week I do a different tip and share with you something that I've learned over the last 20 years of investing in real estate. Love for you guys to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know I sound like my 14-year-old son, uh, but please subscribe below. Hit the link below. Uh, but we want you guys to binge watch to become the expert and lean on some folks that have been doing this for a long time to help you build your business as well. So guys, uh, we're uh, running a bit behind. You guys had some great questions. Thank you for that. But I want to go into the market update now. So let's pull that up. So uh, every time that we get together, if we've got new data on what's happening in the market, we'd love to share that with you guys. Uh, so we have only one market so far reporting this month. And very luckily, lucky for you guys and lucky for me, that would be the Dallas-Fort Worth market. Okay. So, um, oh, and gosh, Dang it. Um, it looks like maybe this slide. Oh, wait. Boom. That would be the Dallas-Fort Worth market. Here we go. So we've got the June numbers uh, for the DFW market. So last month uh, in June, the average price was $520,300. It was down, but it was luckily only down 3%. So that, guys, um, this is one of those situations where if you have perspective and you see that after interest rates have more than doubled over the course of less than a year, that you're actually celebrating this number because it could be a lot worse. It could be a little bit more like the Armageddon that we had, for example, 2008, 9, and 10. So we're so we're super blessed here to not have that. The median price uh, down, but only down 5%. Days on market have more than doubled from 18 days this time last year, when literally if you blinked after a property went on the market, you you've, you already missed it to someone else who had it under contract. Uh, closed sales, they're down, but only down 4% year over year, which to me is, again, uh, 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 down only 4% is the new up, uh, because again, of the fact that we've doubled interest rates. We have increased our inventory, uh, but we still only have about 18,240 listings, and we have probably more than 2x that when it comes to the number of realtors that are out there. Pending sales, they're down, but again, down only 7%, uh, which is pretty good, again, considering the market that we're in. Where are all of the would-be buyers going? They're renting. 
They're renting. Leases are up 26% year over year. Lease price is up 2% year over year, which doesn't sound huge. Uh, it started to get much bigger the same time last year, but a lot of the would-be sellers are now doing what? Renting. They're landlords. They're accidental landlords. We had a lot of accidental landlords in 2008, 9, 10, and 11. We're going to have some accidental landlords today as well. We also have the landlords that don't want to let go of what? What did I tell you? 70% of the mortgages out there are at an interest rate of 4% or below. So you also have a lot of owners who don't want to let go of that interest rate. And you have a lot of buyers who I kind of liken the buyers today as, as, as a kid on a playground who gets offended by another kid. What do they do? I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home, right? That's what they do. I feel like a lot of buyers in this market have taken their ball, which in this case is a down payment on a house. And they've gone home to rent a house instead of buy a house. So we're seeing that in the marketplace right now. I'll very quickly go through the stats for the other markets as I don't have the June, the June numbers are not reporting yet. Uh, but just very quickly for May, Houston average sales price down, but only down 1.6%. Closed sales down 10.4%. Where's everyone going? They're going to lease, uh, in that market in San Antonio flat in terms of the average price at 389,000 sales only down 3%. Uh, leases were flat, which kind of makes sense. So we have more sellers there than, uh, than, and, and less people adding to the leasing market. Austin had the biggest run up, but it's also having probably one of the biggest rundowns. The average price in Austin last, uh, uh, this year, 606,000. Last year it was closer to 650,000. So the average price in Austin down 11% year over year sales down 4%. Um, and what's interesting is in Austin last year, this time close, the close price of the original list price was 106%. So it was listed for 100, it sold for 106. I know there's no such animal like that in Austin, but you get the idea. Um, now, if it was listed for 100, it's closing for 94.1K, okay? So that's the difference. Was this helpful to you guys? All right, okay, good. So I'm gonna try and be a little more helpful before I turn over the reins. And we have a special announcement tonight, so excited to be able to share that with you guys. I mentioned when we first started investing in real estate, uh, it was come to the local RIA every single month, we'll learn a little bit more about investing. Well, at, at the pace that we get knowledge and information now, that just that model just does not work. So we want to compress that for you and share with you all the different things that we've learned over the last 20 years, but compress it into a three-day workshop where we share the different investing strategies, the marketing strategies, the close and sales scripts, the exactly what to say for the real estate investor. We have a few dates coming up in July and August. So if you guys want to pop out your uh, phones right now, we'll get you registered for that. We'll get you registered for that right now. Uh, so you'll just click on that QR code. You can select any of those uh, dates that we have there for you and you'll be able to uh, uh, join us for that. I'll make it a little bit bigger for those of you guys who are in the back of the room. And for those of you who don't know how to operate your camera as a QR code reader, don't worry, just pull up uh, your browser uh, and go to texasstarterkit.com to get registered for one of those events that we've got set up for you. And as I end my part of the presentation tonight, I want to introduce our keynote speaker, uh, Mr. Phil Grove. So he's a national 
nationally recognized expert in a number of real estate investing strategies. He's trained over 100,000 real estate investors on exactly how to invest in this Texas market, transacted over 1,200 deals, invested in over 300 million in commercial properties, survived and thrived in every part of the market cycle, and owns over 300 million dollars or $30 million in real estate, mostly free and clear and all here in Texas. Would you guys like to learn from him? Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at texasstarterkit.com.